Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. Got a big uh, show tonight, Derek. I think it's going to go a bit long. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so we've, back in April, we went to the uh, Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium. Uh, and we met up with John Babulik of Backcountry Custom Canoes. And he said, how would you like to take one of our skin-on-frame kayaks for the summer? And we said, okey-dokey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we've been paddling that for the summer. Um, yep. Neither of us are, are big kayakers. You've done some of it in the past. And the I've past. just just taken yeah. it up this, this past year. And been absolutely loving it. Yeah, it's a nice craft. It really is. And like I, I, previously I used to do a lot of kayaking. I used to live out in the West Coast because you, that's what you do when you live on the West Coast. You yeah. kayak. But since moving to Ontario, I really fell in love with canoeing. And I have never really thought of going back, except for I did some whitewater kayaking and stuff. Yeah. But that's different. But uh, it, it was really nice to get back into the boat. And it was, uh, I think I calculated that day. we went up to Tobermory. And uh, I think I had... Uh, Calculated that I hadn't kayaked in over 20 years. Yes. It's been a long time. <laughs> I haven't kayaked since before I got the kayak this year. Yep. Uh, this summer back in April. I have not kayaked in, ooh, just over 49 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, I've been using it up and down Duffins Creek. I've been yep. out on Lake Ontario, stuff like that yeah. with it. Just getting, getting the feel for it. And then, I mean, I've got the wilderness uh, systems um as the zephyr as well yeah and so just flipping between the two and 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 realizing how different each one is exactly the balance and yeah the, yeah yeah and uh yeah it's but it, yeah it's it's a really comfortable uh kayak to paddle that's for sure yeah i i was surprised like i wasn't i didn't know what to expect when i the first time i sat in it on the water uh we're up in tobermory mm -hmm. and uh so you just had some the old style life preserver cushions yeah oh yeah just a couple of cushions yeah. to sit on so i I've, I've never sat in a kayak without a proper seat before so yeah. I, I was a little nervous i thought oh what am i getting into here it's not even a proper seat but you know what it just turned out so comfortable it was oh, yeah. uh it was the the whole it was that my posture was good. It was comfortable. It took me, well, like it had been 20 years since I've been in a, like a sea kayak style kayak. And uh, it took me 10, 15 minutes to get used to the, uh, the twitchiness of it. Yeah. You know, because I, what you have to do is you have to relax your hips and just go with the flow. And well, and the initial stability when you get into it. Too, yeah. Because if you haven't been in one in a while, you're just twitchy. like. twitchy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're yelling at your own hips. Stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know what? I, I've really enjoyed paddling it and uh, learning learning in it. Um, and yeah, we get a lot of people looking at it. While I, yeah, when they're I beautiful watercraft. And everybody's like, yeah. ooh. So if you if you love to talk to people, just walk around with yes. one of these things, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have a puppy to walk around with, <laughs> walk, exactly. around, walk around with one of these. People come up and start talking to you. Yeah. So, so we've been trying to schedule stuff and uh, managed to get uh, John on the phone. And do a little phone interview with him about uh, backcountry custom canoes and his skin-on-frame canoes and kayaks that he builds, amongst other things. And yeah, I mean, the gamut went all over the place, uh, which our interviews usually do, which yes. isn't a bad thing. Yeah. But yeah, we've got, uh, did a little phone interview with him and talked about what he, he makes now. And like you say, talked about backcountry custom canoes, as well as a couple things he's got on the go, a new partnership and... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, well, let's take a listen to what John had to say. 
Hi, John. Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. It's great to finally get you on here. Uh, we've been trying to get you on for a while, and we've actually been using one of your kayaks all summer and uh, been having a great time paddling it. So it's nice to to get you on here for uh, for a nice little interview. Yeah, it's great. I'm excited. I listen to the show all the time. Um, so the one thing that we've been wondering here is, like I say, we look at your, your boats and all that and it says, you know, we know people that are doing cedar strippers and stuff like that in their garages as hobbies. Did you start this as a hobby or do you come from a boat building background, carpentry background? Like how did this come about to, to start building these uh, skin on frame canoes? Well, I, re- I really had, um, I come at it from a paddling perspective. I, I mean, the first canoe that I built, um, the first skin on frame I built was to get me into a deep backcountry lake, a five kilometer walk in was what I had to do. So, or what I wanted to do. So that was kind of the idea and the concept, but I was lucky I had grown up in Thunder Bay and done a lot of canoe tripping for my whole life and a lot of offshore sailing. So I had a a lot of experience with boats and boat shapes and boat design. And then I came to it from building bamboo fly rods and building some interesting furniture. And uh, I have I studied forestry in school, so I had a good understanding of of wood and wood products and how everything came together. And so I was kind of like the Swiss Army knife. I wasn't, I didn't come at this with a pure boat building perspective, but I came at it with a little bit of knowledge or enough knowledge in each category to make me um, dangerous, and I could build the first one easily and relatively well. And then from there, I spent a year prototyping, studying boat building, boat design, um, a lot of interesting sort of historical perspective stuff on on wooden boats and how they were constructed and built. I don't re- I probably probably 25 or so prototypes until I, I really came up with the models that I sell today and was sort wow. of happy with um, my level of understanding to the point where I could build a really tough boat that was good for the backcountry. That's a lot of prototypes. That's a lot of trial and error. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was I was in a position where I had a great career and sort of was in, I guess, the transitional part of my career. And it happened wonderfully at the start of trout season, and I had enough to kind of get me through the summer and figure out what I wanted to do. And it's been a, I'm one of those people that left their corporate career and is trying something completely different. And so far, I love it. Now you're uh, you're one into the the fishing big time, especially the brook trout. Yeah, so the, the, that was really the start. Was I I had some lakes that I'd been fantasizing about, and the lakes were five kilometers on, um, really on uh, unmaintained portages, old right. logging roads, that kind of thing. And I had a hunch that those lakes would have. Um, big trout, and uh, I mean, I think that brook trout are are proof that we haven't totally destroyed the planet. And the best brook trout fishing is the furthest away from people. Um, that's where you catch the biggest trout and the dumbest ones. So um, <laughs> it was sort of a, um, I guess, backcountry custom canoe started as a means to an end. I was looking at carbon fiber boats and Kevlar boats and all sorts of stuff, and then kind of stumbled across in on frame and had the had the skill set to put put one together really easily and then from there 
spent a year learning how to master it. And it looks like you've done that. I'm happy with where the boats are at. I, I mean, I love paddling them, but they're always evolving. Um, you know, I'm going to be building a boat in the next month that's all cherry ribs and all cherry accessories. So nice. it'll be a totally different build for me. We've, we've, I've milled a bunch of cherry up and it's such high quality wood that I can, I can bend it into a canoe rip really easily. And that should save some weight and make the boat look even kind of more dramatic with the, the dark cherry ribs. Every single one that I build is for somebody. So, you know, if this person is a person that's going to be paddling this with a kayak paddle, so I'm going to make some adjustments. This person is tall. This person is short. This person wants to do 10-day trips. This person wants to, you know, paddle around the lake with their dog or their camera and <laughs> not much more. So they definitely yeah, got to so, be uh, custom built. Yeah, so every boat is custom built. We get together. We have a paddle. We talk about the shape, and uh, the clients sort of direct what me to what they want right down to a lot of the time the music i'm listening to while i'm <laughs> while i'm building the boat is inspired by uh the customer's taste I, mean, I try and put as much as i can of them into the boat as i'm building it and a lot of the time my customers are local and they'll come for the evening they'll bring their friends and a few beers and and they'll do the steam bending they'll bend the ribs in or they'll help out with with um you know, putting the stringers together and getting to see that first shape emerge. Oh, that's cool. And then I end up doing all the grunt work to finish the board, of course. But they're they're involved in every step of actually shaping the boat, which is really unique in canoeing. There's there's not too many ways you can build a canoe that you can actually adjust the shape as you go. Yeah. Now, you talked about the different designs you've got. Now, those are your own designs based on all your experimentation? Yeah. Yeah, so they're my own designs, and I have some strong sort of opinions on what a canoe should be like. <laughs> so, so, you know, they're custom built to the point where uh, I'm I'm happy to build something, but if it's if it's if I don't think it's going to work, I'm not I'm not gonna. Uh, I'll I'll explain why. And and really, with super light boats like this, um, they are a little different in how they perform. Right. Do you think? If you think about it, uh, the classic 15-foot um, chestnut prospector. I mean, that thing waterlogged is 75 pounds. And then you, and it's a great design and a beautiful paddling boat. And if you take that same exact boat and made it in, in skin-on frame, it would be probably a terrible boat because it's got too much rocker and, and you're losing about 80 pounds of, you know, of weight out of it, or 60 anyway, net. Mm-hmm. And so it's got a paddle different, right? And and the light boats do they the ultra light boats do paddle differently. So I adjust my shapes accordingly. There's and I can get away with a really modern shape because the boat's wood and it looks classic and interesting. And so for the canoes, you'll see I have almost no rocker, very steep balance stern because nobody's going to put one on a plane and <laughs> and surf it very often and. That's the most efficient shape going through the water. Yeah, right. Uh, when you're paddling, right, and it don't have any of those sort of wild high bows or curly, or although I can do them because I want the boat to be able to paddle well, empty or loaded, and and in the wind because the wind is the part that's 
Yeah, while being so light. Yeah, well, it just sucks for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You really want to appreciate paddling into a wind. I did a seven or eight day trip a few years ago on a paddleboard in Georgian Bay. And uh, with all your gear, so like a hundred meter bag strapped to the front and 50 strapped to the back and fishing rods and everything and paddling in Georgian Bay, open Georgian Bay, into the wind Oy. on a paddleboard. It's the most miserable thing a person can do. <laughs> it's <not laughs> so fun. You know, I mean, kayaks are much better, and canoes are somewhere in between. But if we can get a, if 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 people look at their their boat design, whether it's mine or somebody else's, and and are shopping for boats, you got to think about what the worst part of your canoe trip experience is, and try and accommodate for that with your with the boat that you buy. So if you hate portaging and you can't lift an 80-pound boat, well, maybe it's time to shop for something. A little lighter. lighter. Yeah. You know, but also when it, when you're shedding 50 pounds out of your canoe, and no longer needs to be as big either. Right. Or as tall. You exactly, know? And yeah. So you kind of, my designs have all evolved in that direction where I study boat design and I study, you know, sailboat design and I study surfboards because I think they're kind of interesting. I tried to build all those sorts of things as well, or models of those. And and because skin on frame was such a good, it was just a really easy way to to try a bunch of different shapes and come up with one that I really liked. Yeah, so that explains why you went the skin on frame route instead of, like a lot of hobbyists and that do, they go the uh, cedar stripper route. Well, you know, and there's nothing wrong with cedar strippers, and I'm actually building them now too, so... Um, but I think my early perspective on cedar strippers where they were heavy. Yeah. You know, they were, you're kind of crushed, slowly crushed to death, I think was, uh, <laughs> uh described, <laughs> described to me recently, slowly crushed to death under an 85 pound waterlogged boat. And, <laughs> and essentially they're fiberglass boats with a wood core. Right. Yes. They're, they're really cool. But I, again, I didn't see any designs that really blew my mind at the time when I was starting to build full-time, and um, they were heavy. And I don't want to carry anything five kilometers that I don't need. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not into being a masochist. I've done my, <laughs> you know, two months in a Grumman canoe in Clitical oh. Park and lugged it over miles and miles. I, I'm good, Max. But having said that, I met this guy, uh, Trevor, from Ashes, who um, we've kind of been working together for the last six months and come up with a partnership. He's got some really innovative designs. Right. And see, the cedar strippers have really come from Bear Mountain boats. Those yeah. people have yeah. yes. perfected them. Oh, yeah. perfected them as sort of this is how you build one. But from a professional boat builder, there are a lot of things you can do if you've got a lot of practice with woodworking and shave a ton of weight out of, out of what they're doing. They're right. just teaching, this is the first time you built a canoe, buy our kit, and you can make a gorgeous canoe. Right. And But if you're a professional boat builder and you build, you're, you know, I'm probably on my 50th boat or something, I can look at that boat and say, geez, I can make it a lot lighter. Or I can make it a different shape, a lot more modern shape that would be challenging to somebody else right. as a you know, first-time builder. So I got to know Trevor from Ashes quite well, and you can check out his site, Ashes Stillwater Boats. And he's a really intuitive boat designer, and he's, got, he's good with computers, so he's got these amazing sort of software that he can come up with 
Well, and that's exactly it. It's better than uh, hauling around uh, an 80-pound canoe, right? Like, I mean, I was doing that for years, and then finally I said, you know, forget this, and went down to uh, a 37-pound boat, and it's just like, yeah, that's so much better. (laughs) It makes such a difference on the comfort. The portaging is what sets the whole thing apart. What makes canoes different from kayaks and every other boat on the planet is that they're amphibious. We carry them. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody complains about portaging. Well, you know, if you don't want to portage, then get a motorboat. You know, or a sailboat, or there's lots of other cool things to do, you know. Not to beat on motorboats, because I've got a freight canoe that we spend a heck of a lot of good times in, and it, it averages, you know, 15 kilometers an hour with a six-horsepower <laughs> motor on the back of it. You know, there's a time and a place for everything. But if, if you want to go on a canoe trip, you're going to have to portage. Yeah. Eventually. The vast majority of canoe trips, that's, that's, a, that's just a part of the rite of passage of, of being canoe trips. And it's what it's why I think a lot of people feel so romantically about canoes, especially in this country, is that we evolved to cross waterways this way, and part of it is carrying a canoe. But part of it is not killing yourself on a Friday night <laughs> <laughs> so that you're dead tired and you can't enjoy the canoe tripping experience. And part of it is accessibility. Now, a lot of my clients aren't 25 years old or 45 years old, and they're not as strong as I am. Right. And uh, and they're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, I, I probably couldn't do this if I didn't have a canoe that was light. Or I certainly couldn't do it to the extent that I want to. I mean, Camper Christine is a perfect example of that. I mean, she's fearless, and she's happy to charge up and down two-kilometer portages. But a lot of that driven by her being able to, to do that with a manageable weight. If the only boat she had was an 80-pound glass boat, I don't think she'd do the same trips. No, exactly. well, and that's a, that's exactly it. I mean, there comes a point where, you, I mean, everybody gets older, and you're just, you, you've been doing it for so long, it's like you just don't want to haul that weight anymore. You know, I mean, that your your gear in that is one thing. Yeah. You know, but I mean, even that, we've, we've gotten lighter over the years, but... If, if you can get yourself a, a lighter canoe, yeah, it's going to do what you want. If you're tied to a heavy canoe, you're gonna not, not going to explore as deep and as far as you would want to or intend mm-hmm. to. And once you get into a lighter craft, you're, you're going to explore places that you never would have thought you'd go. Because it's that it's the weight and inconvenience of that, that larger, massive boat. And it's speed, too. I have, I have not been an Algonquin park aficionado. I spent most of my life avoiding Algonquin Park because it was busy. And, you know, now my customers are, most of my customers live in southern Ontario, and, and they want to have a conversation about Algonquin Park. And they'll tell me something like, oh, well, you know, I want to go into Ralph Fife, or I want to go into Louisa, or I want to go across Opiongo, or I want to go into whatever kiosk and do these lakes. And this was all, you know, kind of foreign to me. So if you're in the canoe business, you better do some research on that. It seems like a nice enough place, so I'll give it a try, but it's busy. Yeah. And one of the big advantages we've had uh, canoe tripping, both solo and, and tandem with my partner, is is that we can just bogey across trails. Oh, yeah. We can leave here on a Saturday morning, and I can be into, you know, 12, 15 kilometers back and have hustled over two or three longish portages and get the good campsite. Yeah, well, and that's, that that's of, exactly it. If you're not being bogged down. Yeah, they've got that kind of convoluted reservation system. 
carrying a, a 35 pound canoe and a pack, I'm flying. And if there's two of us, well, geez, I mean, three kilometers, it's a walk. You yeah. know, it's just yeah. a walk. I'm not killing myself and I'm not doing it twice. You know, that's the, that's the sort of big advantage. And the reality is when you look at the ultralight gear, so I was looking at upgrading my tent. I've got like a six pound, two person tent. Awesome tent, I love it, but it's like, it's a bit warm, especially with the dog. Mm -hmm. And to go down to, like to shave a pound from six down to say five in a two person tent, you're going to add about another 500 bucks worth of cost. You know, it's a $500 pound, but to go from a 50 pound canoe to a 30 pound canoe or 25 pound canoe, or even my bigger tandems are still come around 35 pounds you say 15 pounds and it's less than 500 bucks a pound i can promise you that but if you want to pay me that much that'd be cool yeah you, you spend your your i mean there's certain things you got to buy when you first start and then you just replace as you go but if you can shed like yeah like you say like 15 20 pounds in one go and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg more than anything else yeah. Then go for it. And it's not just about shedding the weight. It's about getting a beautiful watercraft that you can paddle across a lake or down a river yeah. or whatever. And that's, and I think that's the big part that draws people to, to your boat, to your boats, right? It's, it, they're, they're so amazing to look at, let alone paddle. Well, they, that's an unexpected byproduct of all of this. I mean, to be honest, the first couple I built, I thought they looked cool. I mean, of course, because you built it yourself, but you're completely biased, right? But... I mean, the first real test I, I did of one, where I pounded it, I pounded it down in a, uh, you know, a trail that clearly they sent a junior ranger and walked to the first creek and did decided they didn't want to get their feet wet. And that was in 1989, <laughs> and nobody's been there since. So you're just basically plowing and crawling over, blow down, and having a miserable time of it for five kilometers. I know one of the advantages of building my own canoe is that if it didn't work out, I could sink it back there, and then I wouldn't have to carry it out. And I was, <laughs> just set it on fire, no one's going to know. <laughs> yeah. I was really disappointed that at the end of dragging it and beating it and fishing it for a week and bashing it into everything I could, that the thing still looked perfectly fine, and I had to carry it out. <laughs> Disposables. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I, I didn't see some of those things early on. I got a lot of feedback from clients and, you know, awesome sort of brand ambassadors who have paddled them and come back and said, and the brand ambassadors, I mean, they get the bum end of the stick too sometimes. They get the weird ones, the prototypes, the, hey, try this out, the seat might break. And it does, and you go, yeah, I told you that was a, it looked cool though, didn't it? Well, before it was broken. And, <laughs> you know, they, they get to, they get to go through that process with me. And I've gotten so much interesting feedback from them so that every boat I build is better than the last. And I kind of have this continuous development thing going, but a lot of it comes from the aesthetic of the boats too, that people are looking at them, they're paddling them into the sunset and watching their reflection because they're translucent. And it's sort of like just this crazy tie-dyed wave dance on the inside of your boat or lighting them up <laughs> and paddling them at night. We were looking at, 
I had looked at LED lights. Uh, I was going to light up your kayak when we were out in the water on it. And I thought that'd be amazing because I was <laughs> these little light strips you can buy anywhere just for boats. I got a whole bunch of them for my light painting. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it would be amazing to see it lit up. It makes some really nice uh, nighttime photography. Yeah. We, yeah, we, I haven't got a good picture of that. I'm, I, and I haven't, I just haven't. I've seen, there's been some good ones of sort of the boat lit up on the shore and stuff like that. But I really haven't got... I had an opportunity, and plus, when I put LEDs in them, and I just get the cheap ones on Amazon that are remote-controlled and lay them underneath the stringers, I'm out for a paddle. And that's the hardest part of this, is that, you know, you are in a business, and you are trying to sort of drum up business, and yeah, I want to make that country big and successful. It's, it's such a cool product. I feel like I have a moral obligation to share skin-on-frame canoes with everybody. Because they're just such a such a cool thing. Yeah. But you know, when I'm out paddling and I've got it lit up, and we're sort of cruising around in the creek here in Guelph after after dinner, it's I don't feel like taking a picture. Well, I just want to kind of chill and have an, an enjoyable time. But the neat thing about those LEDs, if you do get them, get them with a the remote control because it really blows somebody's mind when you pull up beside them at a red light. Turn them on from the inside of your car. Ooh, never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, it's a really neat experience paddling with somebody who's got one lit up because they glow the water a little bit underneath, and it's just they look like a lantern. They're really neat. Bet you'd attract yeah. the fish too. Mm, I, <laughs> I think that's tried. illegal too. <laughs> I haven't tried that one. I haven't tried that one. No, our big fishing project this year is uh, we wanted to catch 125 lake trout. In uh, in a laker in Algonquin Park for the 125th anniversary, uh, we've had two trips. They've been you know sort of windy and rough weather, um, and we've got 111 so far. Nice. Wow. I went to Bice Lake and got skunked. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I've never been skunked on Bice Lake. That is a great lake. Yeah, they're just. Yeah. But I've talked to a few people who said they just weren't biting this year. So many good lakes in in Algonquin Park, though. I oh mean, yeah. Algonquin Park is popular for a reason, and it's popular because it's just a fabulous place. You know, the campsites are gorgeous and obvious. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice place to go on a canoe trip. It's pretty cush. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great place to go, and, and these uh, boats of yours are perfect for it, too. So, quick question. Is it easier to make a canoe or a kayak skin on frame? Um, you know, they're different. So... The canoes, I built so many of them now, and I have a good a good process. So once I start one, it sort of takes about two weeks of not continuous work to build one. So I usually have two or sometimes even three boats on the go at the same time in various stages of development. And it probably nets to be about 75 hours. It should take me 40. I could build one in 30 in my head, but it never does. <laughs> <laughs> the kayak frame and components tend to go together a little bit easier on a kayak. Right. There's just less to do, less monotonous stuff, you know, less lashing and, and that kind of stuff and more interesting carpentry. But sewing is ho- is just horrible. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there was one winter I built a bunch of kayaks and I would bring them in in the house and put sawhorses in my my dining room or do them right on the dining room table and it would take three days of pretty much continuous sewing where you sew and then you tighten the cloth a little bit and then you sew and then you tighten a little more and then you sew a little more and, and sort of 
solo canoes, tandem canoes, and sea kayaks, and you will do custom boats. Yeah. Um, sailboat tenders, things like that. I, I, have a, I have a couple of, yeah, the nice thing about a skin-on frame boat, I built, um, you know, like a sneak box for duck hunting for somebody. Yeah, the nice thing is that you can build just about any shape. I mean, unless it's got a concave surface, you, you can build a shape. And and, and you can do that with kind of a minimal amount of energy once you've built enough boats. So, you know, if you're going to design, um, well, take this, we're working on a fuselage frame kayak, um, Trevor from Ashes and I, that will be available as plans through his website and his kit through mine. Okay. And um, that boat's got, he's probably got about a week of design time in it so far, just sitting at the computer sort of making all those adjustments and that sort of stuff. Whereas with me, it's really, I'm using how they built it 100 or 150 years ago. I'll take a basswood block and, and whittle one sitting on my front porch and then say, okay, well, the proportions are right and that looks like historical boats or boats that I've seen like that and measurements that I do have and then I'll measure the model or measure the half model. And then I'll build my boat from there. So it's how boats were built 100 years ago, and that's how my design process works. And it, it lends itself really nicely to skin on frame because you know you can take a styrofoam block and a, a sander and come up with a design in pretty short order. Right. So yeah, I mean, if you're doing the high tech computer route and that sort of thing yeah. as well with the CAD programs and and whatnot, that's a smart way to do it if you're. Um, you know, if, if those are, if the end result is that kind of boat, but with a skin-on-frame boat, there's a lot more that you can do while you're building the boat. Right. Well, and, and that's exactly. I mean, when you're when you're doing that, you tweak little things as you go, and you'll know for the next time how to do things differently, right? To get yeah. the, the results you're looking for. Now, when you're when you're talking about how boats were built like a hundred and some years ago, I mean that's what that's what I like about the look of the the, the kayak we've got is it, it reminds me of um, like the old uh, Inuit photos and stuff you exactly, see. Exactly, like right? the... Like the Arctic of them yeah. up in their kayaks and... The seal skin there's, kayak. There's an awesome uh, national film board film called Making the Eskimo Kayak. Saw that, yeah. You've seen it, yes. And, yeah. and it's like, it's, I don't know, it must be 40s or 50s. But, uh, you know, it's these guys, these these Inuit guys making these, making kayaks that amazingly similar to the boat that you have and but it's horrifying how they do it bending the, the wood with their teeth and like i mean oh my god it's built out of scrap wood driftwood that they found on the beach from ships or whatever like because that was best wood they could ever they'd ever seen so compare that to what i can do with glue technology and thickness planers and routers and ballistic nylon. I mean, oh my God, it, it's a, you can make a boat 
Yeah, that's, that's part of the, the draw. Like we were talking earlier there, like I've been to Tim Hortons and whatnot with the with the kayak on the roof of the truck and people are just looking at it and automatically are, did you make that and where'd it come from? And, you know, tell us about they're it. Fascinated they're just it. absolutely fascinated. And I, and I think part of it is the, I mean, part of it's the fact that you don't see anything like that around, but part of it, I think, is the fact that it looks really historical. Like you've, you've just pulled this out of an old documentary movie and you're actually out there paddling it sort of thing, right? Yeah, it's, kind of, it's, it's different. It's got a historical feel to it. I mean, man, those guys were, they're persistent boat designers, if nothing else. You know, when I was coming up with designs and, and learning how to build skin-on-frame boats, of course, the natural thing to do is to buy every book, study every film that you possibly can on that stuff. And it's really interesting how a lot of their kayak designs came about, you know, it was you just needed a boat to get fast enough that you could get to that caribou and, and, and kill it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and really, a lot of those communities, the ones you killed, that fed your family. And then if there was extras, that went to the guy that didn't have as fast a boat. Yeah, well, and, you know, I've just been reading a, a book on uh, Franklin, and they, they were talking to the uh, Inuit up there. there. There's parts where records of them talking. And they're saying, like, they think, oh yeah, they they go out and they they they're easily catching seals and and whales and all that stuff and eat and eat and eat. But they're actually saying no. Uh, you know, they they needed to to keep up with different methods and keep coming up with new ways because they were always on the brink of starvation as well. Oh, I think so. I don't think that's not a that's not a nice like environment to live in when you don't have a choice. So when you you get to come across some wood or something like that, and you can get some skins on there and. Uh, build something like you've built then perfect yeah and so they i think they evolved those boats based on and it's obvious when you look at sort of whatever historical records remain of you know these guys were guys that chased caribou and they needed a boat to sprint these guys that were traveling island to island like the illusions they needed a boat with a little bit different equipment because they're gonna they're gonna be paddling like the scariest place on the planet and they were really innovative, but it was all driven by purpose. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, survival. And and I love how utilitarian those historical boats really are. When you go, you know, when you go to the Canoe Museum and you built a bunch of these and you're standing there looking at it and you go, oh my God, these guys were so smart. Like, they were just crazy clever. And there, there isn't a good historical record of those boats because, you know, they lasted a few seasons, and why would you drag it around? The ground's frozen, right? Like, you abandon the kayak, and, and you start walking. And you come back in the spring, well, I mean, like, your kayak's probably toast. You might have to build one every year. Yeah. And they they did that with such a, you know, a tenacity, but also they came up with shapes that, you know, computers spit out now. And their shapes were really good, really intuitive, and really clever to come up with that kind of uh, um, a niche boat. And it's interesting, you know, I, I, you look at them as the example and kind of the pinnacle of skin-on-frame builders, and then you look at us and our perspective on canoes, which is totally crazy. You know, we want to paddle canoes that are, well, everybody's got to have a prospector, everybody's got to have something super light, or everybody's got to have this or that. And really, you just need the canoe that paddles best when combined with the weight of you and your stuff in wind. Mm-hmm. That's what you need. Because 
even a lake like Ralph Weiss, I paddled up Ralph Weiss last summer in a 35 to 40 kilometer an hour headwind. Oh, wow. Yeah, it can pick up. And, you know, there was, I was in a tandem boat alone with, like, tandem, like a 16-foot laker, and I had, I was with another couple, so they, I grabbed one of their packs to give me a little bit more ballast, but I was pretty much burying the nose under some of the waves, you know, and that's all that boat needs to do. I managed to keep up with them and not break my back <laughs> uh, on the paddle in, and it was safe and comfortable, and I was dry. And that's, that's what they're building. They're building boats that were just meant for the stuff they do. Right. You know, and and I think that's so clever. I think it's so clean and smart and such a nice example of how to do things. And all the birch bark canoes are like that, too. There's a little bit of ornamental stuff on some of them. I suspect that came much later. That personal touch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. personal touch or whatever, but most of those boats, geez. Again, go to the Canadian Museum and look at them and go, I think, I, I wouldn't mind carrying that. <laughs> no, it just sucks up the water. You know, some of those boats are small. They're not They're not pounding out these giant freight canoes. They're, they're in tiny little boats because they're portaging them. Yes. Yeah. On, on the same trails we are, you know, in some cases 10,000 years later, for 10,000 years they evolved that boat to be good at that. You know, so why are we sort of going crazy and switching things up? You can look at some of the stuff, like the shape of the bow, and say, oh, well, they probably did that mostly because birch bark grows that way. And so they were limited by the material they have. But other than that, or it sews better, it doesn't split if you put a curved nose on the front of it. But other than that, they're, they're just building those boats because they were good. Yeah. Yeah, it's because they yeah. were good, they worked. It's like a natural evolution of a, of a watercraft, right? Exactly, and all I'm doing is trying to look at what they did and what, you know, look at Olympic racing canoes and really the fastest boats on the planet, these crazy sort of, you know, boiling sailboats that that are traveling around the globe, and sort of looking at what all of that is going on with all of that, plus whatever's evolved for the last 10,000 years, and just trying to come up with a boat that's the simplest, smartest boat to get me in to catch the last 14 lake trout on my lake trout project. <laughs> you know, and I, and I want to do it with a platypus of wine. I'd much rather have a steak than carry a heavy boat. <laughs> I'd much rather have a fish finder and catch 88 fish over the Canada Day weekend than catch two because I don't have it. You know, so I, I make these decisions that we all make, and some of them are luxury items. You know, you can certainly survive without a boat. But if I can get a boat that can do everything that I need to that that does the whole tick box thing on my gear, then I can move on to focusing on the next thing and really try to be the most efficient backcountry paddler I can possibly be. And my clients are all doing the same thing, so it's really cool to watch them do it. Yeah, because for a while there, it's all, I mean, everybody started with all their original gear, which is, you know, like the propane stuff and the green <laughs> you know, green propane bottles and that. But everybody starts whittling down their gear. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm getting a lightweight Kevlar. I'm going from 80 pounds to 52 pounds. Yeah. Which is a big drop. But totally. that's sort of where everybody stopped. Unless you went solo. Like, I mean, I've got a solo canoe that's, what, 32 or something like that. And, <laughs> um, 
you know, like you, you sort of end up at that 52 to 54 range and that's where everybody stops. But if you can get into a skin on frame canoe and drop another 20 pounds or so, that's just taking it that extra level, that extra, you know, you're, you're single portaging everything. Unfortunately, that's what happens. Is it's sort of like everybody, right? You go, oh, well, you know, this is great, so maybe I can take this. But the reality is that I think, and I mean, certainly other manufacturers are doing a great job with things like carbon fiber and and Kevlar. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's just a matter of, of we're almost in a heyday of canoe tripping. Canoe tripping is growing in popularity again. Yeah. Solo boats are selling like crazy because people are learning how to explore the backcountry that way. And although I, as much as I I fear for, you know, the youth, are they going to be able to do this? Are my kids going to want to go to Algonquin Park Are going to want to explore Tomogamy or wherever? I mean, that's important. Those are important questions because if they don't, if they don't, then they won't value wilderness and they won't protect it. Well, and wilderness is becoming a big point of view with the environment in general. It's always in your face anywhere with climate change and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's it's being brought to the families more. That and the fact that, I mean, as a Canadian, if I want to go somewhere in the States and I've got to deal with that exchange rate, I can't afford it's, to go. Yeah. So I'd rather well, drive it, it, three hours north and, you know, with all my camping gear and the family then head down to somewhere through the States. It's, it's a heck of a lot more um, cost-efficient and affordable for a family to go on a two-week trip. And it's beautiful. I think we're going to have more people getting out, and I hope we do. But part of it is got to get out of these big sit-upon boats, which sit-upon kayaks is best than half of the paddling in the last 20 years. But I've been paddling Guelph Lake weekly for ever. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there all the time. And I've watched in the last 10 years that, yeah, for sure, it's, it's Canadian tires sit upon boats, piles of them. Oh, yeah, there, everywhere. There are people there that wouldn't have dared get in a kayak 10 years ago or a canoe that are out there enjoying it, you know. And so, yeah, there's dozens of those boats around. But a lot of those people are looking to do what's next, you know. We love it. We're paddling all the time, but I'm lifting a 60-pound plastic boat on and off the roof of my car. Or whatever. And certainly the nice thing about this sport is that once you kind of got the gear, you can do it for a lifetime. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 And and if you've got the ultralight stuff, you can do it for a lifetime and not kill yourself doing it. Well, you know? that, and that's the thing is you, I mean, we've actually done a, we did one show about um, comparing canoe tripping in the early 1900s versus now. And if I, if, you know, we're, we're looking at all the gear and the weights and everything in the early 1900s, I think I would have done one, maybe two trips and I'd be done. Yeah. That's enough of that. <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm buying a cottage, you know, but now, like you say, you get the ultralight gear and stuff like that. You're doing that forever. Yeah. Oh yeah. My dad's in his seventies and you know, when we're doing trips or going on fishing trips or, or doing canoe trips together and we happen to be in separate boats, he's gone. He's like a rocket down the trail with that boat because he says, you know, I don't, I never thought I'd be doing this at this age. I'm so happy that I am, you know, 
and I, I, he had a boat last year, and I sold it out from underneath him, and he's been just beside himself to get another one <laughs> this year because he's uh, it becomes a lifestyle. A lot of the boats that I built, these little skin-on-frame boats, they you know people buy them and they go, "Oh, this is going to be a really cool thing. I'll be able to do a couple of trips a year," which is really all that most of us get. And then they come back to me a month or two later, and they go, "You know what? I'm paddling two, three, four times a week." You can take a 20-pound boat, throw it on the roof of your car, throw a strap over it, drive it down to the local creek, and have a paddle in the evening. And it's just not that big of a deal to wrestle it onto the roof. I mean, you know, people talk about how tough boats are, but the reality is most of the boats I've smashed up, and I've smashed my share. Most of the boats I've smashed up, I smashed up because I was putting them on the roof of the car, taking them off the roof of the car, smashing them through a gate, Hunging them up on a fence. You know, that's where I break stuff. I never break stuff on trips. <laughs> never on the water, just... <laughs> no. <laughs> to and no, from. You, and I, I think a lot of that is that they're big and they're awkward and heavy and you're trying to move them around buildings. And the nice thing about these is you can just pop them over your shoulder and walk them into your house. Yeah, well, I, I've been... I'm on a couple of boards and Facebook and stuff like that. And, you know, there, there's questions like... Um, you know, which brings Camper. Now, we you came to our attention through Camper Christina uh, a couple of years back. Uh, and you're, you're starting to see more women going out solo and, and wanting to do stuff on their own. And, you know, there there's all these questions on these boards saying, you know, I'm a woman and I've got this kayak. How can I get it up on my roof? Because I have really, you know, I have a lot of problems doing that, getting the kayak on the roof of my car or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, something light like this. Is it would is pretty easy to get up on top of a car. Yes, the vast majority of my clients are women. Yeah, the absolute vast majority of my clients are women, which is great because there's no BS. They don't try, you know. They they know what they want when they come to me. They say, "I want this. I want the boat to look like this. It's going to be the boat of my dreams." And they don't fool around. When can you get it to me? And here's a check, and I want to help. They they're just great, you know. Like they're the coolest people. And um, and that's what they're doing. There are people that have got to a point in their life where maybe they don't have a partner to paddle with all the time. Or, you know, maybe they've got a partner that doesn't want to paddle anymore. Which is, and, I've found a lot of, I have a lot of female friends and that's exactly it. You know, I mean, we've talked about it, you know, going outdoor on all these trips used to be a yeah. man's thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's like a lot of people I know that are, that are women that are paddling solo because their hubbies or significant others or whatever are just, nah, I'm just going to sit at they're, home and watch some TV. Oh yeah, or, or they're divorced or they're yeah. widowed. or You see a lot of people, they're getting into it because they're looking for something, the next thing. They're looking for something to get into. And the light craft makes a huge difference for them. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, from my perspective, it was important when I was picking brand ambassadors to have more women than men. But the reality is I'm trying to set an example for my daughters. I mean, I want I don't want them to go into the bush not armed with the information to be able to successfully have a backcountry canoe experience that doesn't involve, you know, trying to hike up a two-kilometer trail and flip-flops dragging a barrel because you didn't know they came with straps. And I, I want them to look at it and say, yeah, I'm super confident in the backcountry, I know what my limitations are, and I know what my strengths are, too, and I have no problem exploring this place. 
know, through these amazing photos that some of these really cool people are taking about these backcountry trips that they go, you know what, yeah, I can do that. I can totally do that. And they start in baby steps. And, you know, part of what I do when I'm building a boat, there's a lot of communication with somebody, but there's also a lot of, you know, my, my basement is, is the envy of any backcountry tripper. I've been doing this for since I was five. Right. You know, and so I've got, I've got a heavy set of car camping gear. I've got a, uh, a set of gear that I use with my daughters with a big freight canoe, and we're exploring sort of pieces of Georgian Bay with that. And then, you know, so I got a big dining shelter, and I got the big classic Coleman stove, but then I can go down a level to where we're doing backcountry canoe trips. As a, you know, with three people, then down to two people, then down to two people given her ultralight, you know, and then down to the sort of solo setup and then kind of a solo minimalist setup, which is I'm going to go find that trout on the other side of that mountain. I'm going to carry a boat to do it. Yeah. And, and we've, we've done the um, trips where we'll uh, base camp on a lake and we know there's little lakes that we can bushwhack to. And we've taken like prospectors and you're, by the time you get to that lake, you're just like, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> yeah, why? I'm just too tired to fish now. <laughs> yeah, what's the soul worth? If you can, um, when it, getting back to your boats themselves, can you describe the process of actually building one? Uh, you know, like like the materials you use, the, explain the lashings, are there nails in it, that sort of thing? Yeah, okay. So uh, the canoes I'm, I'm building, and, and when you order a canoe, I give you a choice of materials. Based sometimes on what I have and sometimes, or sometimes on what's readily available and sometimes based on the kind of boat you want. Right. If you were going to build a boat that, really sort of expedition-grade kind of boat, something that's going to take a really harsh beating um, with some dramatic shots, like class three whitewater kind of boat. And I built the whole thing just about just about all the stringers and uh, most of the structural components out of Douglas fir. Because it's just so much stronger than cedar. And, and so we go through a series of choices based with the clients based on what the wood selection is, and then I go into the world, and some of it, like black cherry. Well, I've got a, I got a friend that's got a really busy beaver, literally at his, uh, at his pond, and so I have a great supply of black cherry right now to do seeds and stuff like that. So it's, it's, you know, I have to mill it, so it's not free, but it's, uh, it's nice to know exactly where the tree came from, right, and and sort of. That kind of thing. Ash is the same thing. I get most of my ash is from the emerald ash borer. It's just destroyed millions and millions of trees in the province. Mm-hmm. And I have friends that have properties. And the nice thing is, I can walk through thirty acres and say, "I'm going to take that tree," and that'll be enough rips for five boats. And so I, I procure the sort of um, materials, but I also work with the clients to kind of figure out exactly what boat's going to work with them. And most of them either settle on cedar or ash, and then cedar, because everybody wants the lightest boat possible. Oh, yeah. Although I've done, I've done some with Douglas fir, and I've done did one with Sitka spruce, too, which is 
<laughs> and then I mill all the parts. Uh, everything comes from, you, you know, two or three pieces of rough cut lumber, and I can build a boat out of it. And uh, I mill all the parts, flex and bend and test every piece of cedar because it's not always really reliable. Right. So I, I bend them to probably double what I'll bend them to when I'm building the canoe, and if they can survive that, then they'll be perfectly fine under the skin. I steam bend the ribs, and I use um, sort of a combination of a couple of forms and a lot of ropes to adjust the shape. Okay. So I, I start by putting a keel and uh, bow and stern stems, which I, I do steam bend and laminate. And then I put stringers, and then I make my adjustments to the shape by tying ropes or tightening or loosening where I need to to get the shape that's just right for that person. And then um, steam bend in ribs. And like I said, probably half the clients will come over and spend the evening bending in the ribs. And then I lash the boat. And, and what lashing is is tying each piece together with nylon. So I've tried... For three years to figure out a way how to avoid this because it's a horrendous <laughs> process. It's just brutal on the hands, and but it's really the best way to do this. If you put a pin or a nail through a small piece of wood, it'll cause a a weak point, and it can potentially cause a split. If you glue it, well, number one, it'd make a big mess, and number two, although there are glues out there that could probably do something like that, the joint loses its flexibility. Right. Yes. And and screws, same thing. I mean, the sheared strength on a stainless steel screw is only about a hundred pounds, and you can break it off. It's really easy to you know snap stainless steel screws, and you can't use anything else because of the rust. But this lashing is just nylon. Uh, it's wax nylon. About I think it's four hundred pound test or something like that, and. You knot each individual joint. You're basically lashing each individual joint as tight as possible. And what it does is the aggregate gives each piece a tiny little bit of movement. And that joint, when combined, when all the strength combined, makes for this boat that's super strong. But if it does take a shot, each joint will absorb just a tiny little bit of flex. So it's like a giant shock absorber. Yeah. It kind of yeah. is. I mean, it was described to me as all kinds of things, but I think the best analogy was uh, Fraser from Natchmuck Wilderness School was paddling in some white, white water that we really shouldn't have been paddling in last <laughs> February. <laughs> he was kinda, he's a big dude, and he's gone over, like, four-foot standing wave. And um, he said the whole boat would flex just a little bit, just enough to absorb the wave. And then he'd be on to the next one. When you think about it, having a really rigid canoe, is, it's really important in racing because you want to translate all that energy, 100% of it, yes. into the forward motion of the boat. But having a boat that just flexes a tiny little bit, like a lot of Kevlar canoes do, is actually a pretty good thing because when you get between two waves, there's a little bit of get. And... What the advantage of a skin-on-frame boat is really that. That's where it derives all the strength from, is that it's not this fixed thing that's hard. It's got this all of these joints working together to absorb a shot and then a skin over it that's really durable. And I guess the skin is kind of the magic of this for me, 
because if I couldn't, I tried a bunch of different skins and a bunch of different grades of skins. You could probably, you can, you could pretty easily make a canoe with a bed sheet and the rate epoxy. <laughs> you really can. I mean, it's that simple. But if you puncture it, which you could do, it'll rip. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you know, actually, if you if, if you drop a Kevlar canoe on a rock, it'll do the same thing. It'll like rip almost. And because there's no rips off property, so what this nylon does, they call it ballistic nylon. I guess it was developed for flak jackets for World War Two aviation guys. Right. Okay. And so that's where the original technology came from, and I think it was quite quickly replaced by um, uh, Kevlar. Uh, for a lot of reasons, but I think probably weight being the biggest one. So this nylon has has this history of being able to absorb an incredible amount of force because of the way they've kind of woven it together. And the nice thing about it is when it's wet and cold, or I guess it's a pain for the home builder, but once you've kind of done enough boats, you figure it out. But when it's wet and cold, you can stretch it like crazy. Okay. And... So if you build a really strong frame and you stretch this over it, then it shrinks and it becomes tight as a drum and becomes a structural member in and of itself, pulling against all those individual joints. And that's how you build the boat. You build the frame, lash it together, and then stretch the nylon over top of it. And they're they're all based on that same basic principle. It's just what I've done is kind of figure out how to hold the tumble home in place and how to get it so that it's it's that much more rigid than than classically what these kits have been. And a lot of the time, you'll buy these kits to build these boats. They've been around for years. Originally, canvas boats, and then uh, using polyester. And polyester is kind of a good choice. It's not as tough, but it's easier to get tight for the home builder and have it look good. Okay, so I, I've heard about, uh, so you prefer the ballistic nylon. Now, I've heard of like, what is it, uh, Dacron? and Yeah, Dacron's the polyester version. Okay, so, but you prefer the ballistic nylon. I suppose it's just the, the strongest? Well, it's, for sure it's the toughest. I mean, I've never, it, like, it's, I, I carry pieces around and anybody that doubts me, because my boats do look fragile. You know, nobody could believe that you could flip it over and stand on it. It's just insane but it's because of the way they distribute the load but you can't if you were to poke a hole in that flaw just a scrap piece of it and try and tear it even like just with an inch away from the edge you'd never be able to do it you'd wrestle it for hours to get it to even to even get a hole big enough that you could put your finger into it's just it's just such a strong sort of material and and uh it really makes for a really kind of a cool canoe because you can bounce off things, and it's not like a gel coat. It doesn't scratch in the same way. And you can just throw a piece of duct tape on it to, to fix it. <laughs> yeah, you know, we. I've, I'll be honest, I've, I've, um, I've never punctured one. And I've never had anybody who I built a boat for put a hole in one. So the, uh, the ballistic nylon must be that. super expensive, is it? Does that increase that- the cost? The nylon, I mean, nylon's expensive. This kind of nylon's quite expensive. And with the exchange rate and the shipping, all that kind of stuff, it's expensive. But the bulk of the, bulk of the boats is labor. That's where the, that's where the cost comes from. Is, is, it's just a lot of work to build one well. Because 
I've seen, uh, I've, I've looked at a few uh, guys who do it as a hobby. They post a little YouTube video and stuff like that. So a lot of people tend to go with the, the polyester or the Dacron or whatever. So I'm just wondering why a hobbyist goes that way as opposed to going with the ballistic nylon. Is it, I, I thought originally it might have been cost. So I wasn't sure why they choose to go this the way that isn't as puncture resistant. So a couple of real cons on ballistic nylon, or on ballistic nylon, for the hobbyist. One, almost nothing sticks to nylon. They're really limited to the kind of finishes that you can use on it. You know, basically trim clad and a couple of urethanes. That's it. Those are the only things that will stick to it. So if you want your boat to be anything other than those colors, without getting into some challenging tinting, uh, you're kind of limited that way. Okay. And nylon, if you don't get it on tight enough, when it gets cold or wet, it'll absorb water and it'll look wrinkly. So it's harder to do a really good job with nylon, but it's so much tougher. You know, so the advantages are if you can figure out how to use this stuff, then you end up with just a much better canoe. Got it. But polyester is good, not as good. It's forgiving for the hobbyist. I mean, the problem with the ballistic nylon, too, is as it dries on that canoe, it's, it's creating so much tension. It's so strong that if you misjudge, you can crush your frame. Oh, okay. If you took that stuff and put it around a, a carbon fiber boat, stapled it gunnel to gunnel on a carbon fiber boat, soaked it and then threw it in the sun, it would crush the carbon fiber boat because it's got that much shrinking strength. So it's, it's you know, I kind of got a there's pros and cons, and that's why I don't sell kits when it comes to canoes, because really tough to build a canoe like this. If you've got a high skill level of woodworking, it's just kind of a tricky thing. And it took me 25 or so to get to the point where it developed a process that sets them apart from something you can build in your basement quite easily. So okay. it's def definitely a lot of experimentation. You've got to know what you're doing for sure. Yeah, for sure. And and, you know, some pretty horrendous mistakes, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it never feels good when you sort of work for two weeks, work your butt off to build a boat, and then take it for one paddle and invite some friends over and say, hey, you got some beer, we're going to burn a canoe in my yard. <laughs> Ye old canoe burning. <laughs> yeah. So you're, I guess you're not really fighting the big canoe companies because you're... I mean, you're both selling canoes, but yours is is, is a unique yeah. product. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the challenges of starting backcountry custom canoes isn't just that you're explaining to people that you're building custom canoes. Most people can kind of dig that. It's that you're building custom canoes. Oh, yeah, and they're ultralight and then this crazy kind of skin-on-frame thing. And so it's been an uphill battle. Just about every single person that's that's actually taking the time to come test out one, bought it. You know, a lot of them went back, sold their Kevlar boats, came back to me three months later and said, it's time, my wife let me. My wife let me. You know, or whatever, we are in the budget now, dance is paid for with the girls, so I want one of those. But, you know, pretty much everybody that paddles one, and head-to-head, -head, I'll take my solo boat against any, any other boat, because I just think they're really... This is a really good way to build a solo boat. But the big thing is just getting people into the boat, getting bums in the 
frequently about backcountry tripping. That's the that's the challenge of the business right there. And I don't think that big guys help or hurt me at this point. Right. You know, I I think they I I think they haven't even noticed me. Well, as long as uh, they don't. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You know, I'll, I'll slide into the radar with 50 or 100 boats a year for the next few years, and I'd be totally happy with that, you know. You know, you don't need them cutting into your business. Yeah, so- no, well, I mean, they're doing their thing. And, you know, I I look at some of them. I, I, hey, I was a huge fan of uh, Winona boats before I got into this. I love some of their shapes. I do. I mean, if I was looking for a family canoe, and I wasn't a canoe builder. I'd probably buy their 19-foot boat because I think it's the smartest thing for a family to go on a canoe trip in. a nice big boat like that. And, you know, Swift's got some cool stuff, but they've got they got some really cool designers out there, too. I mean, if you look at... I, I've got all the historical catalogs and everything from Sawyer Boats. I think Sawyer Boats. Yost was, is one heck of a designer, and Sawyer was just the kind of people there that would make a go-fast boat that was really light. I guess I'm a child of the 80s and spent enough time, you know, sort of sitting in the bow of my dad's Kevlar boat and googling these these unique shapes that have proven over time to be a pretty smart way to go on a canoe trip. You know, they, they borrow a little bit from the marathon racing community and a little bit from, you know, classic tripping lines, and you kind of put it all together. And I, so I think that Big canoe companies are starting to clue into that. They've got some good shapes now. They're, they're, they're slowly getting the customer base away from thinking that the only canoe you need is a, is a 16-foot prospector. Yeah, and that, that's the, the big thing, you know, you, you hear about when you first start is, oh, yeah, prospector, prospector, prospector. And uh, when you actually go start looking at canoes, I don't know anybody that actually started with a prospector. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they're getting and, all these other things. And they sell tons of them, but the manufacturers are offering options now that I think the big options that are that are smarter boats for the kind of trips we do. Right. You know, the world's changed, right? Yeah, I mean, I've got a, a, a solo Kevlar, um, which is, I, I absolutely love. But then, yeah, I've actually got rid of our big old cottage-style freighter canoe, and uh, I, ended, I actually ended up with a prospector. And but you know what? It does everything I need it to do. Yeah, I've got a Winona prospector that's you know it's a Royal X boat. I just can't get my head around selling the thing because it's it's great for feeding the snot out of in the creek next to my house. And eventually, I'm going to get down there with Stephen Coots to push the thing around with a stick. Oh, you got to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's you awesome. Got to do that. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, I took my uh, my Kevlar one. Uh, uh, prospector out to do that when we went to uh, the Speed Creek there in in Guelph. Yeah, uh, everybody else yeah. had their Nova Crafts and their all that, and they, yeah, and I showed up with that thing, nice and light, just cruised over a lot of things. But <laughs> tell you, you hit a rock, you hit a rock. <laughs> you hear it. <laughs> yeah, you know. But hey, got to use it. You got to use it, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. And Kevlar's gotten stronger over the years. You know, there's there's lots of good ways to build a canoe. Oh, you definitely. You know, and and there's lots of great boats out there. I think there's probably more information about it and better canoes now than there's ever been. And I think I'm just a part of that. I think I'm part of this sort of idea that you can get out 
it's, it's all part of the evolution. I mean, you, you look way back and, I mean, you've gone from birch bark canoes, uh, you know, when we first started coming across exploring the country. Now we're in all these, there's always been an evolution to, to lighter and faster, better, uh, you know, new technology well, and, I, and everything. It's, I, I think the other thing is older. You know, I, my dad started canoeing with his buddies when he was a teenager, and he did because the parents were too old to take them. They didn't want to do it anymore. They are probably like 35. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient. <laughs> yes. So 40, but people stopped doing that stuff you know, at a certain point. And now we're looking at our lives in a totally different way and saying, I don't want to stop doing this stuff. In fact, I think I'm a better canoe tripper than I was when I could, you know, run a portage with a 90-pound <laughs> Well, you learn from experience the things you want to do and, yeah. you know, the do's and don'ts, right? Yeah. Now, your canoes and kayaks, uh, like I said, with solo kayaks, you've got the Brookie and the Aurora. Your tandem, you've got the Laker. I've got two models of the tandem. I've got a uh, the difference between an Aurora and a Brookie is that one's asymmetrical and one's symmetrical. The Aurora is symmetrical, the Brookie's asymmetrical, and they feel very different, but they're actually very similar boats. And I have a Laker, which is a symmetrical boat. I've built a bunch of those, and they're they're pretty nice. Like I, re- I actually, that's my boat of choice most of the time. I love the boat. It's sixteen foot Laker, is perfect for two people. It weighs thirty five pounds, so it's, it's great that way. But I also have one that I'm, I call the Disquad, which I built a couple of prototypes of, which is an asymmetrical tandem. Okay. And it'll start at around 17, 17 and a half feet and go up from there. And then I have a model that fits in between them that I'm building the first one, like the first final, final one after some prototype, is a model called the Slake, which is sort of the solo boat for a big dude that sometimes has a partner paddling when it's empty. Right. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So yeah, a lot of people don't want to buy a dedicated solo boat because, geez, well, you know, like, what, if my, what if my kid wants to come for a paddle? You know, but probably don't need that boat for going on a canoe trip with my kid. Just need it for paddling around the cottage with my wife or with my husband or with whatever. So we, I've come up with this sort of shape, the... Lake, which is really a big boy solo boat or a big girl solo boat that's a meaningful tripper, but also can handle a second person in a pinch. So that's kind of my list of boats, but I've only got three on the website because really only, and to be honest, I'm only producing Aurora's and Brookies one after the other. Now, the sea kayaks, you have the needle and the bay's end. Now, we got, we're using one of the bay's ends. Um, now, I was supposed to go out guess two weeks ago there's a a couple of uh, kayaking groups down our way and uh unfortunately i couldn't go but if we're going to do it again let me know and i'd bring this one out and if somebody wanted to try it um you know i'd let them give a little spin around the the little local area where we go and i got an awful lot of people that want to try that thing out i wanted to build a a sea kayak that i I mean so sea kayaks are interesting boats they're they they have a big advantage when you're in open water and you have to go a long way fast. You know, I, I, for me, a 20-kilometer day is, like, probably enough in a canoe. Comfortable doing a 20-kilometer day, but if you ask me to paddle 25 in a day, I'm going to avoid throwing that into my plans. But a kayak's so fast. 
you can just boogie. Yeah, and 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 so sort of effortless. So the way I kind of use kayaks or think about kayaks is, I want to go on a trip in Georgian Bay, or I want to go on a trip on Lake Superior, which is just absolutely made for sea kayaks. And part of that trip is going to be me stuck, not being able to paddle because the waves are beyond my dis- my ability. And but not the boat's ability, but mine, the paddler. And so I might get stranded three days on the shore of Lake Superior and then have one day to finish the coastal trail, 62 kilometers. I can do it in that boat. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do that in a kayak, or a canoe. Never. So that's the really cool thing about kayaks, and skin on frame kayaks, built like that in a traditional way, are, are really sort of neat machines. The way they come together from an engineering perspective is really awesome, and they're fit using the shape and size of a person's body. So each, you know, so it's, it's kind of a really cool process to, to build each one of those, but they're a lot of work. So I, I named that one Bay's End because it kind of reminds me of my dad. My dad was really into kayaking and kayak surfing in the well, kayak surfing in the 80s. We had a place on Lake Superior, and it had a real reliable surf. And so, and he's not. So he was, you know, you get a five, six-foot surf at five or six o'clock every night for about three weeks of the year. There's a tidal surf in the end of Thunder Bay. And he would go out and, you know, crash around in a perception dancer. Um, and this is kind of, this is kind of that. It's a boat that you can play with, but also a boat that you can do that big trip on Lake Superior with. And that's really where I see a seacock fitting into my life. The needle's a surf ski. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's, it's totally ridiculous. Awesome. It's super fast. It paddles like an epic surf ski. And you, it rolls easier than it should. <laughs> 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 you know, you wanted to say I wanted to take a, a very modern shape and use and see if I could do it in skin on frame and have it translate. And it translates well for the right person, not me, but for the right person. <laughs> you got to have the right skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, I mean, every boat's different, right? And as part of the process of building boats and learning about boats. And trying them, you get to know what you like and what everybody else likes. If I was fifty pounds lighter and had some skills, that would be that'd be the most fun boat I've ever built. So because it's so fast, it's crazy fast, you know. So that's yeah, and and sea kayaks are just one of those things. If I have the right client and I have time to put one together with them, I'm I'm happy to do it. You know, along with a bunch of other kind of projects on the side too. Yeah, well, like I say, I, I I've got plans to get out with a bunch of people and let them give that uh, that uh, Bay's End a try, and uh, hopefully send some people your way. And uh, well, it's good for everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of comments about it. You know, just asking questions about it and stuff, and people want to try it out. Uh, besides kayaks and canoes, backcountry custom canoes also builds. Uh, I know there's three other things you do: kick sleds. Yeah, so I do kick sleds and toboggans are basically the same. Kick sleds, kick sled, when I, I grew up in Thunder Bay, and, and Thunder Bay has a huge Finnish population and a big Scandinavian influence. And these traditional kick sleds were 
used to get on and off the ice for ice fishing, and they're just smoking fast. And, you know, when I was a kid, these guys would have been old guys. They'd come, they immigrated to Thunder Bay after the war, or around, or even before the war, some of them, and they were old guys, and you'd, much, you know, you'd be out flogging, pulling a trailer to go catch your lake trout out onto Thunder Bay, walk two kilometers out to where it's deep enough. And this guy on a kick sled, 85 years old, and I mean those bins, you know, they're just wicked fit. <laughs> just, you know, two minutes from his car, and he'd be drilling holes. And they could go real long distances. So I built a few of those. Um, they're riots. They're a lot of fun around a campsite. A great fun around town, zipping around in the, uh, on the snow. They're good in the hard path. They're not great in... Uh, in deep powder, but they're 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 kind of a neat thing. So if somebody's interested in them, I'm happy to build those. And then I build these sort of traditional European style toboggan as well with the steam vent ribs. And I use the canoe webbing for the seats. It gives a lot of shock absorption. And they'll smoke a GT racer every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I can get you one know, of them bad boys and head yeah. into the hills. Those kids better look out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my, my brother-in-law is a big dude, and, and he he got on it, and he says, you know, like, he's, what's the Slovak word for concussion? Because that's what we should name it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took yeah, out 17 they're, kids they're, on that hill. <laughs> they're, they're right. You can put a couple of kids on them, and they're good, and they can, you can break them, because you can grab the, grab the skis and lift up and dig the heels in, and, and slow the thing down, so you can actually get some control with them. I'm going to take some orders for those and see if we can't get a bunch of those built for Christmas. And then we've got, I've got a, a kit kayak that I've developed with Trevor from Ash's Stillwater Boat. And we've come up with a design for a 15-footer and a 13-footer that sort of, we think, can piece together kind of like Lego. It'll be cut out of plywood. And doing that, it, it, it's a fuselage frame boat. So no steam bending, none of the sort of complicated carpentry, and just a really good, sound, 15-foot shape that pretty much anybody will like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a 13-footer to sort of get in the, the recreational side of the market and see if people are interested in building a kit, because we think that you can build one of those as a as a new builder, very, very successfully and have a good repeatable product. Much easier to do than canoes with a kayak shape. And so expect you to see that in the fall. I'll have, uh, we're hoping to have the final draft of the plans done by around Labor Day. And then I'll build a couple of them and beat them up for a while and then start offering them as kits or plans on his site. So. Yeah. And as soon as you got that, let us know and we'll throw some, uh, shots and stuff up on our uh, Facebook and, and whatnot. Yeah, I started out by building fuselage screen boats first and then switched to sort of steam bending ribs and doing the stuff that I am. And only because I'm a canoe guy, because the kayak route with these uh, fuselage screen boats just makes a really good boat. It's fun to build your own boat. It's cool. So I think they're good. we're excited about that. I do saws and custom paddles and yeah, we saw your uh, folding saws that you do. Yeah, it's kind of a cool Mennonite design, and it, it, uh, 
Yeah. When, and, when I uh, first started going, I always had an axe or a hatchet with yeah. me. Now, no, I just take a, a folding saw. Yeah. Yeah, because you can get far enough away, you can cut a little bit bigger log, and it doesn't do as much damage to the campsite as sort of what's gone traditionally on in some of those campsites. So, yeah, I built those too. They're kind of cool. So, you are backcountrycustomcanoes.ca. Yeah. You are on Facebook, Instagram, yep. and Twitter. Yes. Is there anything else I'm forgetting? No, that's like more than I can manage to be honest. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really. Um, I'm not really a super social media or computer person, but I've got uh, I've got great friends that help me out. <laughs> hey, that's all it takes. So yeah. if, if someone uh, goes on to backcountrycustomcanoes.ca or Facebook and sees your designs there and, and your, your boats that you have on offer and they war- are interested in uh, maybe taking one for a paddle or see what it's all about, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, email through the website is probably the easiest. Okay, there's a contact uh, uh, page on there. Yeah, there's one of those contact forms on it. Or you can send me a message through any of the platforms and right. I'll get them. Um that's that's the best way to get in touch and then yeah book a paddle come and come and grab one if you're curious and and take it down to the river here in Guelph and take it for a spin I'm lucky our shops within five minutes of well it's next to one river but within five minutes of a good paddling spot that water is open a solid 10 months of the year you can paddle there yeah because we were so, there was that April for the uh, at the canoe uh, symposium, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they were. Uh, uh, it freezes up, sort of December, January. I paddled it in January some years, and some years it sort of closed itself up in January. And then we usually get one of those big rains in February, blows it open, and then it stays open the rest of the year. So I really only lose about a month, month and a half of paddling, and I paddle more in the winter now than I do in the summer. Yeah, as long as you can paddle as much as possible. Exactly, yes. It's better so than anybody here. can try a boat any time. You know, I've, I'm here all the time, and if I'm not, I'm either, you know, running around with my daughters or I'm on a trip myself, so sorry you missed me. <laughs> <laughs> Leave your name, I'll answer when I get back. You know, that's this is important stuff. This is research and development, product testing and all that kind of stuff. Exactly, right? yeah. you got to make sure that you're able to fish from these uh, boats. Right. You'd hate to That's sell right. one to somebody whose plan is to go fishing and then find out you can't fish for one. <laughs> so you got to make oh, yeah. sure it's well tested. Exactly. Oh, and I have a YouTube video, or a YouTube channel too. Oh, YouTube as well. That's right. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel and I've, I've filmed a bunch of sort of how-to stuff. How, or at least, not necessarily how-to, but how I do it. Set up the backcountry trip, how I outfit the boats you know, what fishing stuff I use and what tent I prefer and all that kind of stuff, which is constantly changing, but at least it's sort of a baseline for somebody to have a look at it and say, okay, this is this is the steps to getting to the point where I could do solo trips, you know. So I have that kind of stuff, and there's some cool brand ambassador videos on there too. All right. Well, John, uh, thanks for coming on uh, the, sh- the show this week. Like I said, yeah, we've been... 
hoping to get you on here for a while now and just one thing leads to another but we can actually uh all manage to get together and make tonight happen it's i mean our shows are usually about 50 minutes long but you know whenever we start chatting an hour <laughs> and a half gone like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's good fun it is for sure and you guys should stop by the shop there's lots of folks to play with here well, you know, that might just happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we're still playing with the with the kayak you've uh, lent us uh, for the summer here. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, you know what, we're thoroughly enjoying it. I mean, I've been a canoe tripper for over 30 years now and um, just got into the kayaking and absolutely loving that boat, that's for sure. Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, like, the more you see, the more you know. I'm not a total purist. I... You know, I spent a week on Georgian Bay in a freight canoe this, this year with my daughters in a six-horsepower motor, and I, I got to tell you, it was one of the best backcountry trips I've ever had. And I'm happy to go on a paddleboard any day of the week because they're easier to get on and off of to have a swim. There's an advantage to all of them, and being able to sort of play with them all is uh, it's, it's like a dream come true. Well, John, thanks for uh, coming on this week. And yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be chatting with you again, and uh, looking forward to some really cool things coming from Backcountry Custom Canoes. Right on! Thanks a lot, guys. Not a problem. You take it easy. Yeah, you too. Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. That was awesome. That was a really good interview with him. It really was. Uh, I, I thought it was going to be maybe a half hour or something, but yeah, yeah we got an extra hour out of him. <laughs> and I still have more questions. I know. Eh? <laughs> I wanted to ask him about Aurora Brook Trout. I wanted to ask him about uh, a little bit more about his sleds and stuff, right? So yeah. now I'm going to have to give him a call because I I, I want to get one of those kick sleds. He had a kick sled at, was it Family Day? I think uh, Matt Olson. Pat Matt Olson, yeah. Had he, one he was booting around in. Yeah, he, he loaned that to Matt for the whole week that he was there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I saw Matt push around his kids on it and stuff like that. So I would love to get. Well, I'm sort of of a toss up because you don't get the snow down here. Like that'd be cool to yeah. zip down and get some mm-hmm. exercise, right? But if I've, there's no snow, it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, like a, not far from where I am. Like I, I've got the Long Sioux Conservation Area and stuff like that. There's a a lot of uh, pack trails for people hiking in the winter, so it would be work for there. And you know, even if you're going up to Mew Lake for like yeah. New Year's or day Family Day or weekend or yeah, day trips, it'd be great. Yeah, there's all those beaten trails, mm-hmm. so I think it'd be kind of neat. It, it, but obviously, in, living in town, it's not appropriate. You're not going to push it down there. Well, that's why I don't have a skidoo. Because <laughs> exactly. you got to travel three hours north just to I know, it. I know, right? <laughs> you know, but I know people that do. That's what they yep, do. Every yep. weekend they're out in the skidoo trails and it's like, oh, <laughs> I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, really great to get John on here and uh, talk about backcountry custom canoes and, and his skin on frame canoes and kayaks and projects that he's got going and stuff. Yeah. So definitely uh, have to keep track of what he's doing and post some stuff on our Facebook page mm-hmm. and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
If you want to hear this 132nd episode <laughs> and 131 others, yes, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, a ton of them, just Google it. And you can find us on the episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio. Just click the little tab at the top and all 132 are there for download and streaming. So listen to your heart's content. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to us this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>